We left off with David last week, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem where it had never been before, for one thing, but had also been in foreign territory and outside on the borders of Israel for an entire generation. Can you imagine an entire generation not having the active living presence of God? No access to God whatsoever. Just the voice of a prophet crying in the wilderness as Samuel did. And that's all they had. And sometimes when I'm in worship and sometimes, honestly, as I, I look around, I wonder if the presence of God would be taken away from our lives, how much of a difference would it make? That's a really good soul-searching question for an individual. It's a really good soul-searching question for a church. What if there was no active living presence of God? Our primary value here at Hillside is the presence of God. We exist to be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We exist to be a host to the presence of the Lord here in Millersburg, among others. We're not the only ones, but that's primary to us. And we have said and we believe that if we would ever get a sense of God's left the building, God's not with us right now, we'll stop everything. We will arrest every program of this church. We will stop everything that we do that we put our hands to, even the most beloved of ministries. We would rather say, we're not going to do a thing. We're going to we're going to clear the stage and set the sounds and lights ablaze if that's what it takes to crush the idols and we'll wait on the Lord. Are you all together with me in that? Because I, I know that I feel it. I, I felt it for all of my 16 years with this congregation that that is just that important and we mean it. There really is no point in doing anything if the presence of God's not in it. We can build programs. I've been part of programs before. I've had programs with hundreds of kids in it. And I, and I can tell you that with programs and with the, the fun that you can have with kids I did it for in particular, we, we can have programs for every age and demographic that will meet the soul, the needs of the soul. And, and they'll be exciting and they'll be fun. And we, we could do that, right? There, there are many in this gathering I'm looking around right now that know how to put on a good program for people. But none of those things bears fruit that remains. Just take a look at our nation right now. What's missing in our nation is a, a living, dynamic presence of God that comes with an excitement and a joy for those that are in Christ and comes with a holy fear of God for those who aren't, those who are doing things in secret, those who are doing things in dark places. There's only one real solution to it all. And I'm all for every governmental action possible. I'm all for justice in the courts. I'm all for all of those things. But those are the fruits of the presence of God in the midst. Franz Lippi was here years ago and shared a great training in intercession. He leads intercessory groups all around Eastern Europe, former Soviet bloc countries that have been, I mean, they had an entire generation raised up in atheism. You were not allowed to be a believer. And he has been seeing outpourings and revivals and awakenings all around what used to be Christian strongholds in you know, Romania, Czechoslovakia, places like that. And he shared a profound truth about what the presence of God does in a community. It, it's, it gave the picture of, you know, the, when Flem, it was Fleming that discovered penicillin, right? Dr. Fleming? Somebody not, who knows, right? Come on, no, right? Thank you, Jaden. I knew you'd know JT, right, Fleming. And what he discovered in, in the Petri dish was this mold in the middle of it was killing all the bacteria, and that's how penicillin was discovered. And it, it, you know, that's the reverse. It's something that kills, but God's presence in the midst of a community does that to evil. It does it to darkness. So there's got to be a people that say presence first, programs later. 
we are desiring to be such a people, David was such a man. He understood that. We're about to begin now as we journey through David's life, the beginning of what everyone calls the golden age of Israel. 80 years of rest from their enemies, 80 years of the glory of the Lord, so filling a place that later on when Solomon built the temple, God was so present that the priests went in to minister and they couldn't even stand. The glory was so thick in the atmosphere of that place. And it all began with David first saying, okay, now I've been anointed king for the third time. Now the nation's united under one king. Finally, after all these years, first things first, where's the ark? It says, David brought the ark into Jerusalem. And I want to read you the song that David gave to Asaph, who is a, a Levite, who would be the lead worshiper in the tabernacle, what would be called the tabernacle of David. And I believe it's a word for this hour. I'm not sure if I'll preach the whole message I have for you today. I'm, I'm watching the clock too, and I'm hot and sweaty, and I'm under French fry lights on top of how warm it is in here. So you got nothing to complain about. No, I'm just, I'm oh, kidding, not kidding. I love you. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Are there any more necessary words for our day and hour than that? This is after David put the ark in the tent where it would remain throughout his reign, a place where worshipers, as I'll read in a moment, gathered around at night and day just to offer up praise. And to the unbeliever, that's just foolishness. What's the point? You're singing songs in a tent to this golden box. Great. We got enemies on the edge of our borders. We got Philistines raiding and stealing our crops. We have Moabites who are ready to invade at any moment right now. And all you can do is stand around and sing. I'll tell you, the strategy worked. To the people who sought his face continually, the enemies didn't dare set foot because the Lord is the God who puts his enemies to flight. The Lord of hosts is the one whose enemies melt like wax in his presence. And when he is present, that all-consuming fire makes God's enemies his footstool. I thought that would be a louder amen with that, but I know you're all, you're all tired from all that dancing, right? Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgments from his mouth. Sing to the Lord all the earth. I'm going to just pause and put a bookmark in that we'll revisit some of the first things in most of the songs that were written during the day of the tabernacle of David prophesied to the nations. There was this instant recognition. We did not just get the presence of God for ourselves. We got it so that we could give it away. We got it so we could be the light of the world. We got it so we could be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's what we have it for. We got it so the whole world will know how great our God is. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. One more exhortation. When was the last time you feel like my praise was great today? Not in a prideful way, but when you could go home and say, man, I offered God some great praise today. God said, ooh, that was good when I went home. 
He is greatly to be praised. The great thing about praising God is that no matter what words you use, you will never be found guilty of exaggeration. It is impossible to exaggerate when using any words to describe God and to offer to him the kind of praise we give to other people. And whatever the thing is that you praise, that I've praised, I, I used to go to rock concerts, so I was into the 70s rockers, you know, I went to Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, Rush, concerts like that, and I had no voice the next day because I was screaming. They'd play my favorite song, yeah, I know, I was yelling and jumping up and down, and, and the drummer would do this 15-minute drum solo, yeah, throughout the whole thing for a song about nothing. My favorite song had no lyrics. It was just music and an awesome drum solo. And I lost my voice. I was praising the drummer with my voice and with my dancing. And then I came to Christ and I got nothing for him. Even close to that, something is amiss. Great is the Lord. And so he's greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. We were praying before service today. May the oil of joy be poured out on you fresh today. As you receive, not just with your ears, but with your life, the word of the Lord that's being preached and prophesied in this house, May you receive the fullness of joy that comes as you become a host for the presence of the Lord. Because everlasting joy is upon our heads when the redeemed of the Lord come singing unto Zion. The Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty before him, strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come before him. What does it mean to ascribe something? It means that we confirm this is what you are. We, we use our mouth. Sometimes we write it down. This is what you are. When we say to God, you are the most powerful being in all the universe, is he now becoming that because we said so? Of course not. If we say there is no one like our God, no one at all, is that the day that he became like no other God? No, it's the day that our body, our mind, our soul, all of who we are came into agreement with the reality of heaven, which is more real than the reality that we call life here in the land of the living. C.S. Lewis is a brother in the church reading it right now. Where's, uh, he's not here today. The Great Divorce, it's a great book. And C.S. Lewis describes heaven as like this bus that gets out in the heavenly country. And the people that get off the bus step down into the grass and the grass hurts their feet. It's a brilliant picture because we think what we see with our eye, what we touch and feel with our hands in this world that we live in is all there is to reality. But the truth is we're not even real yet until our spirit becomes alive, until we're transformed into the image and glory of God again. And so they step off and the grass hurts their feet because they're not real enough yet. Saints, none of us were real till we got real. That's what salvation's about, isn't it? It's time to get real. 
You think you're so awesome? You think you're so holy? You think because you did a couple of good deeds today that you're pure and white and spotless? And then we had to get real at some point and say, man, my righteousness compared to Jesus Christ, it looks like dirty rags that just cleaned up and mopped the floor of my kitchen. That's real. We got real. And ever since, all of us who have been walking closer and closer with the Lord, we're getting more real. So when we ascribe to the Lord all of these things, all we're saying is we're ready to experience in reality what you've long since been, since before there was time. And because we ascribe all of those things to you, we're becoming that because we become like what we behold. Are you all all right? Nod your heads a little bit sometimes. It helps. Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world's firmly established. It won't be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. This is a great word. Rejoice means, you know, re means do it again, right? Except retire. I know most of the people I know around here when they retire, they're busier after they retire than before. And I'm keeping my eyes up so I don't make eye contact with anybody I know has done this. But retire doesn't mean get tired all over again. That's different. But re, generally speaking, means do it again. So there's joy coming from heaven because in his presence is fullness of joy. And on the earth, all we're doing is reflecting back the joy that just came from heaven to us. How many of you need a fresh baptism of joy? Stand up for a minute. Why not now? I'm going to do what my friend Kamanzi Mati said. He goes, Brother Steve, he was from Kenya, never stood still. Brother Steve, you want revival? I said, yeah, man, I want revival. Said, have one. <laughs> so receive the joy of the Lord. Receive it right now as an anointing that's poured out from on high, reflecting in your spirit. Your spirit, which has been made alive to God. Your soul, which has already rejoiced in God, which is why you were born again in the first place. Remember, soul of you, saint. Remember on the inside and bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, every soul of every saint. All that's within you, bless his holy name. Don't forget, O oh soul of every saint, all the things he's done, all of his benefits, pardoned your iniquities, healed all of your diseases, redeemed your life from the grave and crowned you with his glory so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. May you dance again with joy like a three-year-old. May your heart experience what it feels like to, to have so much joy that you just laugh for no good reason. May your life reflect the glory of the joy of the Lord. May it be strength to you. You who have a weary heart, you who have weary knees, you who have even grown weary and well-doing, receive today from on high the joy of the Lord as your strength. Be not weary in well-doing. Be not weary in your life in Christ. Instead, receive from today. Come on, let's open up this, this posture right here. It's like, here I am. I'm a bold Lord. And I need, I want to get, how much do you want to get? You want a little bowl or you want a big bowl? I need, I don't know about you, I need a big bowl of joy right now. Amen. I need joy from on high. Life's been doing to me the same thing it's been doing to most of us here. It's been trying to suck the life out of us. I got great news for you. On the inside of you is a river that never runs dry. It's a river full of life and it's a river whose origin is under the throne of God itself.
Receive the joy of the Lord today. Not joy because you thought better thoughts. Not a joy because he even believed better things, but a joy that is supernatural. Receive the joy of the Lord today. God, would you come and hear the cry of your saints? We confess apart from you, we can do absolutely nothing. We come to you today and confess. We're weary, we're dry, but in you is life and that more abundantly. In you is fullness of joy. At your right hand, everything our heart desires, every pleasure lasting forevermore. We receive it from you and say, we need it. Fulfill your promise to us, Lord. You said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. God, would you come and do it for us today, that we would be the people who are filled with the fullness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, the best thing about getting baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit is you get free refills for life. Become like, you know, those souvenir cups you can get when you go to Hershey Park and you pay like 15 bucks for it at the beginning of the day. And then it becomes a personal challenge. I'm going to get at least $25 worth of soda today, right? But you go around and all you got to do is hand the cup at any stand and they fill it right back up again. We are souvenir cups designed by God to be filled with his presence and be filled with his glory. And so here's David's heart. <laughs> First Chronicles 16, starting verse 37. After singing that song that I just read to you, he left Asaph and his relatives there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark continually as every day's work required. And Obadiah with his 68 relatives. These were all, remember Obadiah from last week? He was the guy after, after Oza died for touching the Ark. They put the Ark in Obadiah's house. And he was like, don't touch it, kids, at first. But then his house was blessed. So 68 of his relations, you know, when somebody wins the lottery, all of a sudden you find out about all the family that you didn't even know you had, right? All of a sudden, all of his family, and they said, Obadiah said to David, hey, hey, dude, I had it first. I got dibs. So this, um, this foreigner, this man from Gath, he was a Gittite, this man from Gath, maybe one of Goliath's family, said, oh, I get dibs. I'm, I'm in on that tabernacle too. We know how to take care of it. So David said, all right, you can, you can hang out at the door because you can't, you can barely even pronounce Yahweh, much less know him. So you can hang here with your 68 families and they stayed as gatekeepers. He left, but then it says he left Zadok the priest and his relatives the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place, which was at Gideon to offer, or Gibeon, to offer burnt sacrifices to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering continually morning and evening, even according to all that's written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. <laughs> this is an amazing moment in world history and in biblical history. Because as you know, we're aware of at least three people that entered the presence where the Ark of the Covenant was who died. Two of the firstborn sons of the first high priest, Adab and Abihu, and then Uzzah, another priest, died from mishandling the ark. And where did the ark belong under the law of Moses? The ark of the covenant belonged in the tabernacle. 
To get to the ark, you had to first go through the first set of gates or curtains and not without a sacrifice. If you had no sacrifice, you were not welcome in that place. Then you had to offer your sacrifice on the brazen altar, make a burnt offering to the Lord. And then if you were a priest, one of the privileged few who could go into the next chamber, you'd have to wash your hands thoroughly at the laver, the brazen, the bronze laver, to be completely cleansed, all of which points to Christ, all of which points to the cross, all of which points to us individually as living tabernacles of God. But in that day, that was the prescribed law. Then you could go into the holy place where there were other things to do, the showbread and the candelabra and the altar of incense, and I won't take time to explain all of that. And then and only then and only one day a year, the Day of Atonement, was one man, the high priest, allowed behind the final curtain, which they'd open up for that day, covered with the, the, the um, smoke of incense, and then throw blood on that, mercy seat once a year to cleanse Israel of all their sins. That was the law of God for the day that David put this tent, four curtains, maybe something that opened it up, and there's the ark, only the ark, right in the middle of all that. The high priest, he said, you can go four miles north, mountains a little bit higher, you set up your tabernacle up there, but I'm keeping this ark right here because I'm going to hold on to the presence of God if I'm going to be a king who's going to dedicate a nation to God. He should have been struck dead for that. Everybody who entered into that tent should have been struck dead. That was the law of God in the day that David did this. But God looked at the man after his own heart, and he saw a man whose desire was the intimate presence of God. He saw a man who said, wait a minute, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Judah. You mean that I'm never going to be allowed into the presence of God? And you expect me to govern the people? I can almost hear these behind-the-scenes conversations that David had with God. After Uzzah died, it said he sought the scriptures, he got counsel, and then they figured out how to carry it. But I can almost hear David interacting with God, saying, Oh, I am not going without you. You want me to be king of your chosen people? You want me to be the one to lead your people into the fullness of all your promises without your presence? Nah. Like Moses once said on the mountain, when God said, hey, I'll send an angel in front of you. He's a, he's a bad, uh, see this, I gotta find another adjective. This angel, don't mess with him. That's what God said to Moses. Don't mess with him. He doesn't he play around. He'll kill an army in a, with a wink of his eye. And God said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, Moses said, whoa, whoa, hold on. What do you mean an angel? If your presence doesn't go before us, send us not from this place. That's like our, in our vision statement of Hillside, that is like our motto. If Lord, if your presence isn't going before us, then don't send us another minute. We'll, we'll get on our face and we'll, we'll pray and we'll, worship and will minister to you but don't send us anywhere don't call us to do anything unless your presence has gone before us that was david's heart and so for a generation god winked he said okay david man after my own heart man who carries my heart i'm gonna let you do something that violates the perfect law of the lord because you value my presence more than anything god's desire is always our presence in his presence. Always. 
every covenant of God from Genesis all the way through the new covenant, every single promise of God had one goal in mind, that God might dwell in the midst of his people. Israel, for their part, came to the foot of Mount Sinai and it appears from all of it, you read through Exodus 13, 14, 15, as you read through, it looks like God really intended to just speak directly to all the people, that he would just love them like a firstborn son, which is what he called them. You're my firstborn. He, his desire was to speak to all the people directly. Then we come to this tragic moment in biblical history when Israel said, we're afraid of that God because he was showing up on the mountain in all of his glory and the consuming fire presence that he is. And yeah, it is dangerous to approach the presence of consuming fire if you're made of flammable material. It's dangerous to take lightly the fact that the Lord who made heaven and earth is desiring to have intimate fellowship. Being a friend of God isn't the same as being a friend with, with Bobby next door. It's just not like that with God. He is exceedingly sovereign. He is greatly to be feared, as we just read in the song David wrote for this occasion. But Moses went into the presence of God and he said, I don't know what it's going to take, but we need to have you. So the people said, Moses, you go talk to him. And then here's the words that they said, whatsoever the Lord commands us to do, we will do it. And then that day they chose a religious jump through the hoops relationship with God rather than intimacy, rather than God, you saw fit to call me to your side, so it must be safe. And even though I'm unworthy, if you say I'm worthy, then here I stand in your presence. And in that day, God gave them the law of Moses, 618 commandments, all of which included the tabernacle and offerings and, and all of that and included laws for living. 618 hoops to jump through to maintain intimacy with God rather than just saying, okay, God, here I am, unworthy as I am, but you called and I answered. Do you know that for the old and new covenant alike, that's all we've ever had to offer God. He called out to us and we answered. That's it. There's nobody around the table of the Lord that deserves to be there more than somebody else. There's nobody whose life measured up in some way better than somebody else. But God always found a way. He made a way when there seemed to be no way for a sinner like us to stand in his presence and say, I'm safe in this place. God is not safe as Aslan says in one of the Chronicles of Narnia but he is good oh he is so good he's good enough to make a way that we can get to him now we can take the shortcut which is to just respond to the call and stand there first in judgment that's the first experience we all have you know, whoever decided to take the whole repentance thing out of the gospel and replace it with nothing but promises of blessing, it was a bad idea. I was going to say something harsher. It's a bad idea. We first stand in judgment. We first stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How many of you have done that already? It's not for some day to come, saints. The moment you were born again, you, as it were, stood before the judgment seat of Christ and found out in that place that the judge was all too willing and ready to say, 
you've served your time. You may go free if you just put yourself in that Christ right there. The one who offered himself in your stead. That's all you got to do. You don't need punishment. The chastisement that brought you peace has already been laid on him. That's all he's ever desired. Our presence in his presence. And from that moment on, judgment's behind us. And here we are now in the fullness of glory. But too many saints live in this place of thinking, I've passed through judgment, but I blew it again. Now I'm starting over again. Give me the hoops. Let me bring some kind of offering. I've got to offer some penance. So I'm going to go to the tabernacle of old and bring a sacrifice of some sort. I'm going to sacrifice my joy. I'm going to sacrifice my fellowship. I'm going to sacrifice gathering with the people. Whatever it is that we do to punish ourselves. It's like we send ourselves to our own room. And we come back as it were to like the tabernacle of Moses. Give me some hoops to jump through. Give me something that I could do to participate in the salvation. I know Jesus said it's finished, but I feel like I've got to bring something to it. And as soon as we do that, we just put ourselves under an old covenant system that just doesn't work. It's not only unnecessary, it's unholy. There is no sacrifice to be made. There's already been one perfect sacrifice made, and we can't add a thing to it. We could punish ourselves for the rest of our lives. It won't increase our stature and it won't give us more ability to approach that Ark of the Covenant, that Ark where the mercy seat's located. So stop punishing yourself. Stop withdrawing from the presence of God because here's what happens. We, we take these religious hoops and it puts us back in firm control of our relationship with God. That's what all dead religion does. Dead religion says, not your way, my way. I will, if you won't accept it, I'll find my own way back home. I'll make a sacrifice worthy of you. You just wait and see. That's what we're doing when we punish ourselves for our sin. But instead, God says, no, no, no. I've got one tabernacle and it's all I've ever wanted. I want you with me. You can't do anything to earn it. Just come and be at my table with me. I miss you, son. I miss you, daughter. I just want to be around the table with you. This is why David said, we'll keep the tabernacle of Moses because that's the covenant that we're under right now. You make your sacrifices in the morning and evening. We'll do the day of atonement, but you're going to do it with no ark in that holy of holies. The ark stays right here, right here. And for a whole generation, that's what David did. Now we'll look next time at how David had an idea to build a temple. And we're going to look at, was that a good idea or not? God, God did it. I don't know if it was a good idea or not. You'll see. <laughs> or you could cheat and read ahead with your own Bible. <laughs> but when the new covenant came, when all the answer to every promise that God had ever made became fulfilled in Christ, when every single stroke of the pen, every jot and tittle from Genesis 1-1 through Malachi 4-8 all became fulfilled, here's what God said. The apostles, realizing Gentiles are now coming, just like the prophets told us they would. The apostles convening in Jerusalem realized, you know, Peter went to Cornelius' house and it was like the Holy Spirit said, you're taking too long and poured out his spirit on the house before he could even have an altar call. 
and they started praying, speaking in tongues, and they were baptized in the Spirit just like we were. God has clearly decided that it's another day, that we're not going to keep the Gentiles out, but now is the time where this goes to the whole world with no holds barred. And they had a debate. Should we circumcise? Should we bring them under the law of Moses? What does the old covenant have to do with the new covenant? And they had this long debate, and then James got up in the middle of it, and he said, I've been hearing all the wisdom around the room, and here's what I'm telling you God's doing right now. And in Acts 15, he stood up, and he said, These, with, with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And now he quotes Amos 9:11. After these things, I will return. And I will rebuild, not the tabernacle of Moses, not the system of jumping through hoops and striving and, and doing good in order to feel worthy of the presence of God. No, no, no. I want to return and I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. That's what the Lord says and makes these things known from long ago. Saints, when we rebuild a system and a structure that's complicated, it's not the Lord. When we rebuild and even we make theologies and doctrines that are more complex, man, I can't even pronounce some of the words that I was learning in seminary when I started systematic theology. Eskawadadiyubuji? You know, Eskimo, what? You know, I was like, what in the world is all this? That's not even a Bible word. When we start making things complicated that God has made simple, rest assured, the religious spirit's afoot. And it's trying again. The religious spirit is in that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and all it ever does is makes God seem so far off, up on top of a mountain somewhere like the pagan gods are, and who can ascend? Who's ever going to get to that place? you can be sure that some religious system has come into place. Any system of connecting with God through religious rituals was not God's original idea. Yes, that includes the tabernacle of Moses. That was not God's plan A for Israel, which is why it had a limit to it. Because within the old covenant were promises of a new one. And the writers of Hebrews and, Gal and Paul and Galatians, they explain why that never did any good. It never once cleansed anybody of evil. It never made anybody righteous. All it did was put burdens on men's back. As they said in Acts 15, when they were thinking about adding the law of Moses onto the gospel of grace, Peter got up and he said, how are we going to put a burden on the backs of people that none of us were able to carry? What gives us the right to take this free gift of grace purchased on the cross, just like all the prophets were told, and now we're going to add religious rituals on top of that? circumcision can you imagine having an altar call and then telling all the men hey we got one more thing you got to do we got to do what i thank god they came down on the side of grace in that acts 15 gathering of the council of jerusalem and that if it's complicated and elaborate then it's not reflecting god's heart what it does, what that does is reflects man's religious ideals could we stand and glorify god for a minute are you as great? I'm just feeling this fresh sense of gratitude for the new covenant that we've entered into, that all it took was a turning of the gaze toward God. All it took was in a moment just saying, yes, Lord, 
I got nothing to bring to you. I have no sacrifice worthy of what you deserve. I have nothing to bring to this thing. But if you say I'm welcome, if you say I belong, then here I am. Here I am, Lord. Can we just pray that together? Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. You called, I answered. That's it. You called, I said, yes, Lord. And now we say, take us and do as you see fit. As the tabernacle of David was for the nations who didn't even know the name Yahweh, as the modern tabernacle of David, the church, the saints of God individually is, to, the, to those out there that don't know even the name of Jesus, we say, here I am, send me. I'm just feeling this, this uh, provoking from the Lord right now to share with you that rather than just praying, here I am, send me, asking the Lord, well, where are you sending me? Where am I supposed to go? Where should I take this presence that I have because I am the house of the Lord. Where should I take this presence? To whom shall you send me? May the Lord fill your mind with an understanding of it, but more than that, may the Lord fill your heart with a burning desire to go to that place, to go to those people, to not relent or kick back and say, I've got the presence, what else do I need? But to say, I've got the presence, who else needs it? Lord, here we are. Send us. Thank you for choosing us and calling us and even for giving us the gift of faith to respond to that call. If you're here today and you feel like you've been living a secondary kind of life, in other words, you have not been as on fire for the Lord, as dedicated and and actually living in such a way that God is first. I'm gonna invite you to do something really bold here today as I have done in my time and my life with the Lord more than a number of times. Would you come forward and just offer your life fresh to the Lord? If you're at home, do it right where you are at home because there is something of a posture as we, as I shared and exhorted about dancing, there is something about actually putting feet to faith and saying, I'm presenting myself before the Lord now and saying, baptize me fresh with a vision for why it is that I'm the house of the Lord. Come on forward and let me pray over you if that's you. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and provoke our hearts to a place of no more empty religion, no more mouthing words, no more going through the motions, no more saying, yes, Lord, but not living, yes, Lord. Wherever it is that we have even passive-aggressively said no to the call to go, we present ourselves before you right now and say no more of that in Jesus' name. No more of that in Jesus' name. Let's lift our hands together. Say, Lord, here I am, send me. Put a coal to my mouth as you did Isaiah the prophet, that my words will now carry the authority of the kingdom of heaven that I will now have a recognition. I bless you, and I say now where you go, you will have a recognition. You are now an ambassador sent to a place where there has been a no. If you've said no to the Lord, then just offer up your own words of repentance. You know who it is. You know where it is. You know whatever that means to you. You know what it is. Repent of it. Just offer up in your own words your repentance to the Lord. 
Lord, receive this. Receive right now, not just lip service, but life service. Receive from us a knowing that our life is about a whole lot more than just living this American dream, that our life is made to be a whole lot more than just coming to church on Sunday and feeling good. Take us, shake us, wake us, and make us ever present, ever present to your leading, your prompting. I say in Jesus' name, open up the ears of everyone who's gathered in front of me right now and who's gathered at home before you right now. Open up the ears to hear what the Spirit is saying that the still small voice, the gentlest of whispers will now guide you as a rudder steers an entire large ship. May the word of the Lord now steer, steer your life. May you be easy to be led by the Spirit. May you find it easy to say yes to the Lord and all the things that you do. May you have eyes to see what the Father is doing, that you might partner with him every moment of every day that you'll recognize the Spirit of God at work and the Father opening hearts, preparing lives. And then may he put that cold to your lips and touch you with a voice of a prophet that's as powerful and nation-shaping as it was Isaiah when the Lord did it for him. I bless you in Jesus' name. Go from this place now as sent ones of the Lord. We're all that. Can we all just lift our hands and say, Lord, here we are. Send us. We go from this place today aware and alert to opportunities to share the love of God, the kingdom of heaven, that our lives will be about a lot more than just earning a living and paying bills, that our lives now will have an eternal consequence because you anoint the work of our hands, take our fishes and loaves and work miracles with our lives during this, this season. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I love you guys so much. Praise God. I will see you again soon. Man. Tuck